I think it's going to rain and it's going to stop. This is I Am a Griefist, a childhood cancer grief journey podcast. All right, so I think this takes us back into where we left off last week, where it was time to go out to L.A. to do surgery after the diagnosis. So I was living closer to L.A. I was in L.A. County, but I was closer to the hospital by a margin than you guys were because it was basically freeways away. But I recall being at home and getting up at the ass crack of dawn, going to the hospital, but on my way there, stopping at a grocery store and getting like snacks. Cause I was like, this is gonna be a long day. Whatever you guys needed, I remember going, I don't know what the fuck I'm doing. I don't know how I can be the best support for you. Let me just feed you. Because I think in our family, and mom's nodding right now while she's snacking with our favorite stuff right now, mom shows us love with food. I think as long as our bellies are full, this is how she displays her love. And so that's all I knew, right? And so I, I ran to the grocery store on my way into the hospital, and it was dark. And we parked in the parking lot. There was a ticketing system. It was all these logistics needing to get in, I remember. And I just remember getting into that room. I think you were there. The baby was there. And I kind of just sat. I think you guys were still trying to sleep. Her surgery was scheduled for that morning. And I just sat and was in my own head about what was about to, to come. So tell us a little bit about that night. I think you slept in the hospital with yeah. her. So we, we got transferred from Fontana to L.A. in the ambulance, which was interesting, and she enjoyed. <laughs> uh, um, she enjoyed an ambulance ride? Is that what you just said? <laughs> yeah, I mean, she enjoyed all of it. I think, oh, wow. like, even though, like, being in Fontana and everybody was there and we were going through this crisis, you know, I remember she was sitting there enjoying the fact that everybody was there. Mm. You know, I remember she had like one last meal because they let us know, you know, she's going to be having surgery right. in the morning and she's not going to be able to eat in the morning. So right. she should probably like eat now. Mm-hmm, so she was mm-hmm. like eating with everybody and messing with her big brother and all this stuff. So she was just enjoying her time with everybody there. And I want to say it was the same at the hospital. We didn't get into a lot of detail about what was going to happen. So she didn't really have a big concern. She knew that things were different, you know, mm-hmm. but mom was there and, you know, her familiarities were still there mm-hmm. to some extent. And so she just knew this is coming out, but that wasn't the biggest thing on her mind, on her mind. And so for me, even though it was the biggest thing on my mind, it was like if I changed and I made it a big concern for me, then she, of course, always feeds. So it was going to be a big concern for her. That must be a lot for you, though. I think for any mom in a situation where you know that something crazy is going to happen, you're definitely pulled in two different directions because you're thinking about non-scary for a kid. I mean, there's no rule book. There's no... Right. You don't know. You don't just do the best that you can. Right. And to go back to like fire hydrant of information when she was first diagnosed, I I feel like a lot of the experience early on was it's all coming all at the same time. We're trying to do research. We're trying to figure out what this means. It was it was a lot to take in. But at that moment in time, not only are you trying to take in, but you're trying to absorb it like you're, you're trying to process. She's having a very scary surgery. She's you know, she's four years old. And the information we have is we're just moving at this point. It's, oh, she's got this cancer diagnosis and we have to do surgery. 
Okay. And I think at that time, too, we already understood that we would need chemo, we would need radiation, and we would need, you know, some treatments in order to, to get through this cancer. So this roller coaster that we speak of is absolutely true in the emotions that you endure, right? Like, it's just like, it's, I can't even explain it. It's just so much at once. And then on top of that, you have to tend to your daughter, who's also possibly going through this roller coaster of what's going on with me. Right. I think I almost feel like you recognize very quickly that you're at a major knowledge deficit mm-hmm. when it comes to most in definitely. A medical office. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're saying these words that are humongous that you've never even heard before. Don't know how to spell and, and type in your phone. Right. They're <laughs> yeah. flying through it like yeah. as if, you know, it's a second language and mm-hmm. you're sitting there listening to the first two words that they said, trying to look it up and catch right. up, you know, right. you're losing all these pieces afterwards. And right. It's just, it's extremely overwhelming. Yeah. I think that's why we had decided, you and I... She's looking at me. Any time that she was going to be, and I mean Jess, was going to be in front of a doctor or nurse that was going to explain some things, that somebody else had to be there. Because it is too much for one person. It is way too much. So she would remember things. I would remember certain things. And if you were also in the room, then we all said... Did you hear her say that? Right. Oh, I, I don't remember her saying yep. that. But yeah, now that you said that, yeah, let's look that up. Mm-hmm. And how do you spell that? Like you said, we, we didn't even know how to spell some of the things that we were talking about. Right. But you cannot have just one person in there. Because I really, really believe that it's too much for one person. You hear one thing and then all of a sudden you go, oh my gosh, I, I can't think of anything else. But what they just said, I don't hear anything that happened afterwards where the rest of us can go, okay... That part didn't bother me, but now what else is happening? What else did they say? And you're able to pick up a whole lot more. I even thought, I don't even know why we didn't do it, is to take in like a recorder and record them so that we can actually. But we did pretty I think we thought about that a few times. We mentioned it, but then there was like the laws that we might be violating. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I think is interesting too is that it's, we come from a background of like super thinkers, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And it's not, I can't say that we're like the smartest people on the planet, but I would say I know that I had straight A's in school, in high school, like in every endeavor, I figured out a way to make sure that I was the top dog when it came to smarts and I knew what the heck what was going on. Mm-hmm. Her head's growing a little bit, I think, right now. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I'm just saying, I, I definitely put a, put a whole lot of effort into that and I almost felt definitely. like that was part of my identity. And sure. when I came into this scenario, it was like, why do I feel super dumb? Uh-huh. Like, yes. I've never felt so yes. dumb 100%. before. 100%. Ever. But it feels like once you get a diagnosis, and I've heard other people say the same thing, you become proficient in that well, disease. Well, and to support what Jess is saying too, if we feel deficient in something, we're going to do whatever we need to do to not be deficient in it. So at that point in time, it was like, not only we are trying to deal with our emotions, we're also trying to we're doing homework. educate ourselves <laughs> yes. as to what yes. this is, what we're in for, what the, you know, how do we best address this? And it was almost, let's be real, um, it was almost like we were trying to outsmart the doctors, yes. I think. we. <laughs> If you heard how strong that yes was right now. (laughs) Because I didn't want somebody coming in there and just go, so this is what we're going to do. And us go, sure, 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 because we don't know anything. I think it's a trust factor as well because you're coming to a place where everybody who's talking sounds like Mm -hmm. they know exactly what they're talking about. Yeah, exactly. But you You have have to trust. Right, but you've never met them before. Right. And you have no idea what their true intentions are. And you're hoping and crossing your fingers that it's in everybody's best interest. Right. Because you have no idea what's going on. Right. 
But 100%. all in the medical field have to sound like they know exactly what they're talking about. They well, they should. They, they should. They shouldn't that. be in that position if they don't. Right. And because I already know that and because we've dealt with other things in our lives just growing up, you have to look everything up. Yeah. You have to make sure that well, this and, is actually something that you want to do and, and how you want to do it. Yeah, and in our society, too, we do have the option of getting second opinions. Like, there's a reason why that's an option. You know, you don't have to take the first opinion that comes to you. Did you explore second opinions at all, speaking of which? I don't remember. I don't think I did. No. Um, I mean, I think in some, like, portion of her treatment, we did seek outside opinion, mm. but it wasn't, like, the first thing that we thought of. Yeah. And, I mean, just on a broader sense, it wasn't like, again, I didn't know enough to know enough at yeah. the time. I did the best yeah. with what I knew, but exactly. it was like, okay, this is the best option that you have in Western medicine, you know, but there's Chinese medicine, Ayurvedic medicine. There's like so many different thought processes to treat a similar situation, you know. Mm-hmm. And at that time, all I knew was you go to the doctors, they're supposed to have the answer. You're supposed to listen, do what they say, and you'll be fine. Yeah. You know, but yeah. again, I did. I just didn't know enough to know enough. I remember that morning of the surgery that there were a couple of doctors that had come in because they wanted you to decide or they offered you an opportunity to send the sampling to like Wilms researchers, Wilms tumor researchers. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of where I started with the, oh, there are people looking into this. Oh, this is this is something that's a priority for somebody or they're trying to collect data to be, you know, she's going to be a statistic. I think that was one of the more negative emotions I had with that too is, oh, now she's part of this group, right? Mm-hmm. Where they're looking into it, they're making it a priority, great, but she might also be a different statistic. I think that's when data for me sort of came really at the forefront of everything. It was like, oh, stats, oh, cure rates, oh, mortality rates. It was numbers. On the other side for Jess and for the family, it was also decisions because with the doctor's mentality, with their education, with their knowledge, their expertise, they still give you options. Well, it's like they can't do it without your permission. Sure. You know? And so they they do the best to explain what it is that's happening, and then you, they go, yes or no. It's like, I only need two years to study up on it and figure out if I want to say yes. Yeah. Not, right? uh, and, yeah. And by the way, you have to make a decision within the next hour. Exactly. Yes. The exactly. The biggest thing that I can tell you is we knew nothing about it, and mm-hmm. we only had seconds to make a decision because yep. she was going to have surgery the next day. Right. That's what they said. But, they but wanted it, to get it But is it just it our perceived, them. you know, thought of what it is that really happened? Because they could say, oh, you have to make a decision right now, but you can always leave against medical advice yes, and just go, you they, know what, I need like two weeks to think about I this. I think what they know? were doing, though, is, is they need to get it out of their ASAP. Yeah. Right now it needs to get out. It's been in there too long. And the longer it stays in there, the worse it's going to get. That's the feeling that I got, that they're rushing because they have to rush because I felt rushed. I felt like they're saying, we need to get that out like right now. And it so, was a little bit of panic, I think. It was a little bit of panic for us. And I think it's the uncomfortableness sure. of not knowing what's happening here. And, and you're right, the trusting. But mm-hmm. they were also putting her into a surgery where most people, Folks have to wait a while in order to get into us. Mm-hmm. And they were like, no, we need to get her in. We have an opening at this time. And so we put her in that. So I think before we got in there for the diagnosis, they already had things in place. Yeah. They already had all these things yep. that were going to happen as long as she said yes. Right. So it, and it felt like that. That's what it felt like. You don't have time to think. But at well, the same time, because it's a, we didn't know anything about it, we have to, like, 
hell, if it was cancer, I want it out right now, too. Yeah. 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 And it's interesting, too, because the way that the setup is, like, in the medical system, it's almost like the nurses and doctors know what's going on before you know what's yes, going on. Yes, true. You yes. know? So the nurses coming in, pro- and doctors probably already knew she was just diagnosed with cancer, mm-hmm. but they don't know yet. So you got to mm-hmm. keep your mouth closed mm-hmm. and wait till, I mean, for due reason, you know what I mean? You can't just go, hey, this is what you have, and what's the plan? I don't know. We got to figure it out. You know, you, you can't do that you either, you know, plan, so it's it's yeah. for good reason. But you realize, you know, at that point that you're like, what's going on? People know what's going on. We don't know what's going on. Yeah. Yet. And then you get it all in one big blow. It still felt very overwhelming. But at the same time, it felt like they knew what they were doing. It really felt to it me did. like this isn't the first time that sure. they dealt with it. Yep. Okay. You know what? They know exactly what needs to happen. We started researching Wilms, and they did exactly what was the Very by the book. common practice. Everything yes. by the book. Yes. So, yes. Well, and I want to pause there for a moment, too, because I want to address sort of what I'm feeling right now. Super selfish. Um, <laughs> but this brings me back to, like, where I think the anxiety really peaked for me because I'm getting a little bit anxiety talking about it because I remember the pressure. I remember you're just going along with what they're telling you you need to do. And I think for me, it was some level of control too, where I was like, this baby is now in someone else's hands. And we as a family are so close together. We have such a strong bond that to me, that was scary. And so the overwhelming information, the just the quick decisions you need to make. Oh, okay, we're already moving to another city, a bigger hospital to get the surgery done. Oh, it's surgery. Oh, it's going to be hours. I think they said it was going to be like an eight hour surgery or something like that. I want to say it was pretty extensive. Correct me if I'm wrong. It was 12. Is that not her first So time? the 12 hour surgery was her back surgery. The oh, initial the surgery, second. I want to say, wasn't as extensive. Okay. I can't remember specifically long. at this point. Long. No, I, I remember it was longer than we had assumed it was going to be. Yeah. But I don't yeah. remember what the hours were. Yeah. Exactly. It was prolonged. Like it was a very extensive time, amount of time that they were in there working on her. But this is where my anxiety, I think, was was really starting to build up because there was so much going on and I'm feeling it again, talking about it. This is like triggers for me where I'm like, oh, this information is so much. Oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. Just, there was just an overwhelming sense of overwhelmingness. It was like, I can't even explain it. So, and that's me as an outsider. Like this isn't my daughter. This isn't my granddaughter. This is my niece. I still feel one level of separation because, you know, your mom. Could you tell me if in that moment, too, you felt anxiety? I mean, I would say I definitely felt some anxiety. I just, I think for me, it felt more, I guess the description would be pressure. Mm. Because it felt like I was the one responsible for whatever outcome happened because I'm the one that's saying yes or no. Yeah. And at that point, I was like, okay, option A sounds horrible. Option B sounds horrible. I don't want any of these options. Is there an option C? No. Okay. So you have option a horrible or option b horrible which one do you want you know and none of them sounded right to me yeah so to me it was like i hope this is right and i hope that what they're saying is gonna make her be okay because ultimately my goal was i just want her to be okay i don't want her hurting i don't want her in pain i just want her to be okay and i didn't know how to get there at that point in time did it cross your mind that she wouldn't make it at that point in time I can't say that it crossed my mind that she wouldn't make it. I think at that point in time with the diagnosis, and even though it was stressful getting her IVs in and telling her she was going to have surgery, she was still being herself, you know? Yeah. Crazy little girl, messing with her brother, getting him mad, yelling at him, playing with toys, you know, just being 
before that she was. Mm-hmm. But I knew that with cancer, it's a risk. Right. So it was sitting there in the back of my mind, but it wasn't at the forefront of my mind. It was yeah. like, okay, right now she's okay. And right now there's a plan and it looks optimistic. So sure. let's keep moving forward. But yeah. it was it was there, just not the biggest there. Yeah. Yeah. So do you want to talk about the surgery? Like, do you want to talk about um, sort of what they did or like the outcome of that? Because she had multiple, you know, yeah. she didn't have just one surgery. She had several surgeries and each one was had its own. Like, I remember her first surgery, which at the time I thought was like, oh, my gosh, she has this big old scar on her side. So her scar. So what they did was they went in, they had to take out her kidney because the tumor was had engulfed the kidney. Right. So they Mm -hmm. took out the kidney. But what they also found was that the tumor had attached to a portion of her intestine. Mm -hmm. So they had to take that out, too. Mm -hmm. So the scar that she had was really like at the center of her. I don't know what this is called. I'm pointing to it. Like her sternum to like the bottom of her rib. So it was pretty, it was pretty long. Mm -hmm. And I was refreshing my memory about what happened during this situation as well. And her tumor was hiding under her rib. So when they first um, showed us the scans, they didn't mention anything about it being attached anywhere, but they won't see that until they go in. So they, they went in, took out the kidney, took out a portion of her intestine, and came out, and now she has this huge scar. Tell us what that was like. For me, of course, now, because when I look at it, I'm comparing it to her, her other surgeries, that one really wasn't so bad. Really? Compared to her other ones. It really wasn't because she was awake, talking. She didn't have, you know, tubes in her mouth. She was able to, like, hey, Mom, you know, mm-hmm. a little groggy, but she wasn't in pain. Mm-hmm. You know, she was comfortable, and it was there, and I remember actually... I don't know if it was day, I think it might have been day two, that they were like, okay, you need to get up and walk. And I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Clearly, you didn't read her chart. She just had, because like, we know more than the doctors. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and she looked at me like, yeah, but you don't want her to get like stiff and like not like she's got to get up. Yeah. You know? And I was just like, I, I think you need to check with somebody, you know, <laughs> because. She just had, like, a whole bunch of stuff removed. Like, part of her intestine is gone. You don't even know. Yeah. You know, it was just a lot. And she was like, yeah, I, like, I know. You got to, she's got to get up. And I was like, okay. But she was able to, by day two, start walking around. And she was eating whatever she wanted. Mm, you know mm-hmm. what I mean? She was fine. Mm-hmm. Her other surgeries, she was intubated. Mm. You know? And when we saw her, she had, like... Machine after IV and, mm-hmm. and machine and the tube and she could she wasn't even conscious, mm-hmm. you know she wasn't even awake. Mm-hmm. So it was like, compared to her other surgeries, that one was nothing. Mm. Now looking at it, yeah. But well, first when it happened, it was like, oh my god, this is so crazy. But yeah, I remember it was very dramatic because she's a four year old having surgery, and I immediately went to like social media. And try to <laughs> tap into like religion and go, please pray for whatever it is that you do. Please just do it for my niece. She is four years old going into surgery. She was diagnosed with cancer. And I don't know if because my network is pretty small, though, but I don't remember what the response was. I think it was a lot of people just like, oh, God, I don't know what to say. Like thumbs up or, you know, like whatever it Good is luck. on social media. Yeah. yeah. But at that point in time, I felt like it was important 
to start a different way of communicating what was going on because we had been trying to do everything through text messages. And I can't imagine just having to deal with responding to every single one. So I started a blog. And for those of you that might be listening and are in this sort of period of your journey, consider starting a blog or something more public so that you don't have to individually respond to everybody because that can be overwhelming. Would you agree? A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And dedicate and maybe someone like mom, my mom, my mom, to do some of the communicating otherwise, right? Yeah, and even though everyone had the best of intentions, you know, wanting to see how she was doing and seeing how she could help, you know, it does. Low priority for you. No, yeah, not necessarily <laughs> low priority, you know, but it just, there's not enough time in the day to, you know, take care of the things that you have to take care of, yeah. especially with everything that was going on, plus answer everybody, you right. know, and it's right. like, you don't want to be make it seem like it wasn't important or you're not grateful, but... And it's exhausting. Overwhelming is the only thing I can think of. It's just too much to think about. Yeah. Too much. There's so many other things that are way more important on top of not getting breakfast, not getting lunch. Right. Not, That's where we came remember. in. <laughs> you don't even remember when was the last time you ate until yeah. all of a sudden your stomach is growling and all that. And that's what we were trying to do is prevent that. You forget it. You just, I mean, you forget all kinds of things. Yeah. Because you forget your name you for crying out loud. So much going on. Yeah. And the other thing I remember the first time that she got wheeled in, was she panicking a little bit when they were? She was. The first time, I mean, it's all about timing and when you get the medication to be drowsy and stuff. So she was still pretty conscious when she was leaving. And so, of course, any little kid that's getting taken away by strangers yeah. <laughs> from her parents, no. Mm-hmm. So, she, yeah, she wasn't happy about that. But I think that was the only time that that happened. And the other ones, they gave her, like, some sort of sedation before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so she was already pretty comfortable by the time. The audacity to take her away from her mom when she's still, yeah, you know, yeah. she's still conscious and knows what's happening is, like, on top of everything else. And she has to feel like that. Mm-hmm. So she's done with her surgery Then we started a chemo and radiation regimen. What do you remember of that journey? Of course, everything kind of gets blurred. But Mm -hmm. again, it it all gets compared. So the first experience, of course, was rough because everything was new. But again, in comparison to treatments that she had after that, it was like easy breezy. Yeah. So I remember meeting the team and understanding what the schedule would be and grateful that she, you know because of course I think my initial sort of understanding was like she's going to be a hospital kid you know but the fact that they would be able to do some while she was like I guess considered outpatient and stuff was like oh okay that's nice but she still had some where she was inpatient mm-hmm. and it's I mean I can't remember a lot of the details of it now because it's been a while but I remember just thinking she's going to lose all her hair mm. How am I going to explain that to her? How is she supposed to understand that this is, you know, it just, everything seems so backwards. Mm -hmm. You know, it seemed like we're killing all of the cancer cells, but we're messing up all of her normal cells as well, but just enough so that all the cancer cells die and then she should be okay. And I'm like, how does that really work? No. Okay. Her resistance also got killed off all her immunity. Immunity. Yeah. I want to talk about her hair a little bit because I know that that's a little bit of a sensitive subject because Jess, for any event, actually any time we were doing something getting together, her hair was like 
an art. Mm-hmm. Jess, on point, right? it was. <laughs> she had very beautiful long hair, straight, uh huh, uh huh. And Jess would find any opportunity to create some cool new look. I remember at that time it was YouTubing some cute kid hairstyles, and she would braid this, she would twist this, she would bow this. So I remember when chemo started that I was a little bit sensitive to her losing her hair too because that. There were so many things that we did with her hair. Like, that was a big part of who she was, was how beautiful her hair always was. So mm-hmm. I remember at one point, though, she was convinced to take it all off because it had just been falling out from chemo. Yeah. Do you remember that? Itchy. Yeah, that's what yeah. it was. As she was real itchy. What do you remember about her feelings during that time? Um, so, of course, it's a, it had been something that I had thought about for a while just because I knew it was coming and... Of course, for me, I was like, okay, I've seen all the like pictures and photos of other families that have done it. And it's always like a mom or a sister or a cousin. Everybody cuts their hair at the same time. Yeah, so I felt a ton of pressure. (laughs) Mom, I'm sure you did too. But we were ready. We were ready to go. Right. Whenever, whatever it needed to happen. I was there. So I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go bald too. So it's fine. So it's going to be fine. When it happens, that's what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. So it started happening, you know, and she's like real, real itchy. And, you know, she had been convinced, you know, well, you could just, it's all going to come off anyway, so might as well just take it off now. She was like, mm, okay, you know. In stride. Did it. Yeah, no problem. Did it. And to be honest, she didn't really have a problem with it. That's awesome. Because I remember specifically having that conversation and saying, okay, mama, all your hair is gone. I'm going to take all my hair off too so we can be the same. And she was like, no. <laughs> and I was like, what do you mean? Uh, no. Like, yeah. I already had these plans. Like, this is going to happen. Yeah. And she was like, you're going to look different. And I could see at that point that was going to affect her. Mm. Her having her hair gone, she didn't care. Yeah. But me having my hair gone, it was going to change who her mom was, mm. you know, and she didn't want to see me different. And now that I think about it, I'm like, well, maybe it's because... You know, she didn't want me to have to deal with what she was dealing with. Mm. You know, I don't, I can't say exactly. Yeah. Because she was four. How is she even supposed to know? Right. But she was just like, no, you keep your hair. Mm-hmm. You keep your hair. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I asked her a few times. I remember going, you know, hey, mama, do you, what do you think? Do you want me to match your hair? Do you want me to cut my hair too? And she would be like, no, no, I don't want you to do that. Okay. What mm-hmm. about if I just cut it short? Okay, yeah, you can cut it short. So I... And we did that. Yeah, we cut our hair really short. Did you cut your hair? No, she wouldn't let you, right? No, so (laughs) when you had said, this is what I'm going to do, before she said no, I already had all the family members were going to cut their hair. Yeah. We were going to cut it all. I remember... My mom was going to cut it out. I remember going to, like, the fabric store and getting scarf material to cover my head. Because I was ready. We were Yes, so we already had plans. Mm -hmm. My sisters were going to cut their hair... My mom was going to cut her hair. She actually said, Carmen's not going to cut her hair. <laughs> Carmen won't cut her because I was all about my hair. Yeah. And she said, if Carmen cuts her hair, if she balls her hair, I'm going to be right behind her. Who said and that? My mother. Oh. And I thought, wow. And, and let's put a side note that mom has a big dome. <laughs> So this was that this was, was a big deal for mom. Take a this, lot this, for uh-huh. yeah, this was going to be step. very interesting. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> but I I was willing to do it, but she did 100%. not want me yep. to. And yep. one day she was brushing my hair, and she said that she missed her hair. Mm-hmm. And I said, 
I'm gonna go get the razor so you can cut my hair. She said no. Then she had already told me she doesn't want anybody to cut their hair so that all our plans stopped. I even had one of the girls at work was ready to take the picture of all of us getting our hair cut. And then again, it got squashed. <laughs> but then that that happened where, you know, she was brushing my hair and I felt bad. I felt, I felt like it was unfair for her. But at the same time, I understand it would be different. We would look weird, especially me. I would look bad. <laughs> so <laughs> I would scare her, I'm sure. <laughs> I know she'd look at us like, oh, yeah. <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah, and she would. She would say it. Like that's <laughs> that's part of my fear too. Is she would be upfront and honest about. Mm, yes. You should have done that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so I was a little bit afraid of that right. too. But you know what was interesting too is that like because they have all these resources for the cancer kids. So she had resources to get a wig. Right. And all this stuff. And she was like, I don't want this. Like we had gotten her one, I think something. And she was like, "Uh I got her different colors. I got a purple wig. wig. (laughs) A green wig. What's funny is what's funny is that the wigs that made it look like she had normal hair. She didn't like she didn't right. it. Right. But she yeah. would wear the wigs that were off the wall. Mm-hmm. Green. Yeah. Outrageous. Off, yeah. Purple. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The she was like, one. she wore the pink one, but not not like out of the house. No, no. she would dress up. Yeah. Playtime. Like, yeah. all right. I, I put on this one, you put on that one. Uh-huh. Let's put it. Yeah. And I even bought like beanies that had hair, so it made it look like she had hair on the sides. I bought all kinds of stuff to trade her. And she was like, she didn't no. Want it. No. Uh-huh. No. Uh-uh. That's too funny. So I think it slowed her down. Yeah, yeah. it's too high, yeah. Yeah. too itchy, I think, too, for her. Uh-huh. She owned being bald, but she was beautiful yes, bald. Like, beautiful. although hair was a big thing for her, like, in, in knowing her and loving her, because her hair was always just so beautiful, but when she became bald, like, she was even more beautiful. Just because you knew, like, what she was going through, and you were like, it does not even matter. And what I loved is that she didn't care. Mm-hmm. She was like, this is cool. Like, we would touch her little dome, and she was just fine about it. <laughs> like, she loved it. But I know that that was a painful period because we were trying to figure out what, what do we need to do to appease her, you know, yeah. because I know that's a sensitive subject, and there's some kids that definitely have it affect them and not so positive way and I think too it definitely was dependent on her age as well I'm sure if she would have been you know 13 versus 4 it would have been a much bigger difference yeah Yeah. but she took it in stride and was just like "Mm, let's go play yeah so we don't have to get too far into detail about you know each relapse or each um, chemo or anything like that but we can talk a little about the story so she so what I mean by the story is so she had the surgery we did the regimen and then it was like a year later of chemo radiation whatever other therapies we needed to do and then she relapsed and it was a surgery so talk us through sort of the sequencing if you remember of surgeries and how it sort of progressed and I'll let you take it from there. Yeah. So, I mean, essentially what I remember was, you know, the big blow that she had cancer and right away surgery and did her treatments and finished. And when we finished, I remember being in a place of just like joy. Mm-hmm. We're done. Mm-hmm. We never have to deal with this again. This is behind us. Statistically, she's going to be fine, you know, and the chemo and nausea and all that stuff wasn't even that bad like her hair is gonna grow back we're gonna be fine 
And then six months later, she started having pains. She started having like some back pains, Mm -hmm. but they would come and go. Mm -hmm. And they weren't super strong, but like it, it, what was weird was that it's not like it would come and then stay. We'd have to go to the hospital. It would be there for a little bit and then it'd go away. Mm -hmm. A couple of days would go by and then, you know, a different time of the day. Oh, it's hurting a little bit. And then it would go away. And then I think what I remember is she started to have problems like walking. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started to go, like she would start tripping. Uh Uh-huh. I remember, I, and I don't know if we're talking about the same time frame, yeah. but I remember there was one time where we had to go back and get some scans or something because symptomatically she was having a hard time with her balance. And I remember being in the hospital again and going, did you guys tell them that she's having a hard time walking? Because you guys, like, I, I don't know if it was, you hadn't mentioned it yet, you forgot or something, but I was like, don't forget to mention that this is now affecting how she's walking. I don't want it to be, you know, something more serious. Please just have them check on why she's having trouble walking. And that's when they, they found more cancer and it was in her spine and right. it was affecting her lower limbs. Yeah. So we had gotten after the six months because if she had to have a ct scan every six months and she had just got a clear scan Mm -hmm. and i think that's why when she started complaining about her back you were like wait she just got a clear scan so you weren't thinking that that was that right away because i remember it was coming and going like it wasn't like coming and staying or getting Mm -hmm, worse it Mm -hmm. was like hmm like she would go you know and then the next day she'd be running and playing and fine. Right. I'm like, yeah. okay, maybe this is just like yeah. surgery stuff that's right. lingering. Like, who knows yeah, what we this didn't is. Think, so but for me, I thought, well, it's, it can't be anything. They would have seen it in the CT scan. Right. So yeah. what else is going on with her? But yeah. But I remember not, specifically. Not one time thinking it was that. We were having her birthday. Yes. And we were like, this is a celebration not only of her birthday, but that she's done with everything. Like, this is a big. And I remember thinking she's starting to feel pain mm-hmm. yeah. like that day mm-hmm. she started to feel pain and i was like of all days you mm-hmm. know this why is it happening today like what is going something's happening i mm-hmm. don't know what it is and i just remember feeling like just that that pit of your stomach knowing there's something else there's something else but what is it you know and then uh, i think when we were at the doctor's office and after she got scans because she had been just one night started severe pain. Mm-hmm. And with the severe pain, it was like, okay, we need to take her in. She can't be in this kind of pain. Mm-hmm. So I took her in. That's when they did more scans. And I remember waiting, you know, for the results. And I think when they gave us those results were the hardest ones for me. Because that's when, like... It changed the statistics. The statistics it, were different. It literally changed. changed the statistics. And I remember one of the doctors saying to you, because you told me that in tears, they're talking about quality Mm -hmm. of life versus quantity of life. And I thought, how can you tell a mother of a five-year-old? Tissues, please. (laughs) Now's a good time to get those tissues out, guys. I mean, for sure, at that point, whether or not the question that you had of whether or not she was going to make it came to the forefront at that point. And I think I think I definitely felt it when her oncology doctor said, you know, can I speak to you guys outside of the room? I was like, it's not good what she's going to say right now. So she took us to a private room and it was just 
you know, me and her dad. And she, of course, she was extremely kind. And she said it, you know, the nicest way that she could. But she said, you know, the scans are showing that her cancer is back and it's, it's inside of her spine. She gave me a few minutes to cry, you know, and just accept the news that she had given, which, of course, I was hoping wasn't the case. But once it was confirmed and then once it was in the spine, it was just like... I know emotionally I was in a place of like, <laughs> you can't cure that, you know, mm-hmm. that's her spine. That's a super sensitive area. Uh-huh. How are you mm-hmm. supposed to like radiate cent- and cut central. all that stuff mm-hmm. out? Yeah, I was like. They call it metastatic, right? Because it went there, it's still a Wilms tumor, but it's in her bone. It's bone cancer. It's like, what the fuck is happening here? Because in my mind, all I kept thinking, she just got a clear scan. How could it go from a clear scan to now she's where she is? This is crazy. How did they miss that? And of course, I mean, because your mindset is to blame, right? Somebody's got to be responsible for this. You know, somebody's supposed to be responsible for saving her from this, you know. But I think it was at that point that even though I didn't lose hope, for sure I never lost hope. Because right away they said we can have surgery to try to take it out. And, you know, this was the plan. I think I was in a place of if they can't get everything out, this is it for her. And what am I going to do? And so then I remember, of course, like all of my hope. Not all of my hope, of course, because I I always had some. But most of my hope Mm -hmm. was really contingent on that surgery Mm. and I don't remember you know what I did after that surgery I'm sure you guys can tell me but I think that was the most anxiety and pressure and stress that I had was waiting for that surgery Mm -hmm. and when the doctor came back from that second surgery I was waiting for him to say you know we took it all out everything's good she's going to be fine and when those words didn't come out like for me that was the most painful day that I had because I knew what was coming and I'm sure well you guys can tell me but I'm sure I was crying you know when I don't re- gave us I don't remember seeing you a ton so I'm gonna back up a little bit because there were two major back surgeries there was if I if I remember correctly yeah the first time we learned that it was in her back she had a back surgery and she walked out of the hospital and that yeah. was a miracle to me it was like we had video of her a few days later after major back surgery and she walked out of the hospital. I remember the little her video little of her. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. So let's go back into the sequencing of events. So she had three surgeries total. So one was in November of 2011 and it seemed like every holiday was a new surgery, yeah. a new relapse, a new something. Because like you said, she did have checkups every six months and we would do a CT scan. But it did feel like every holiday season was really difficult because it was like, are we going to have a normal one this year? Because mm-hmm. every year there was something that came up, a CT scan or um, a new surgery that was mm-hmm. involved. So she had three surgeries total. The first one was the kidney, the nephrectomy. Is am I saying that right? Yeah. All right. Good job. So the nephrectomy where they took out her kidney, the tumor, and the portion of her intestine. And then we did a back surgery because they found it in her back. Uh-huh. And did then, they take out a couple of the vertebrae? I believe so. It was so overly complicated what they did with so many big words, I don't remember. But... Yeah. I can say she definitely had a lot of metal pieces in there because every time we yeah. saw scans, I could see all the 
brackets that were holding things mm-hmm. together. Mm-hmm. And I just remember, I mean, of course, the long line of her incision on her back. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot going on in there. But yeah. And it was in between that surgery and the final surgery that she had done a stem cell transplant. And she was at an oncology-specific hospital where she, you guys stayed there on campus while she was doing those treatments. Is that right? Yeah. It was a pretty heavy-duty treatment because they were giving her some really strong chemo. But it was like also an amazing journey for her because it was just me and her. Mm. We spent a lot of time together. But What was that like? It was like an interesting duality because you have this heaviness of cancer and trying to save her life at the same time I'm getting to spend, you know, every minute with her. And she was a fan of staying at hotels and staying at different places. So for her, this was like a new place. So it was like a new hotel. And then after her treatment was like mostly through, she got to stay in the little community outside of that hospital, which for her was like another hotel. So it was bittersweet. It was amazing, and it was hard, and it was scary, all wrapped in one. Yeah, and that specific facility had things for your mental health to keep you somewhat in the ups, right? Because this was an oncology-specific hospital, and they had, like, a garden. They had, like, a koi pond that you can go and visit. Mm-hmm. And the rose garden. Yeah. They definitely had a lot of activities specific for the right. kids to right. make sure that they were enjoying life still yeah and also things to help her enjoy life she got a make-a-wish she She, did have her uh make-a-wish tell us about that that there's a whole video about that just put together the whole experience on video which we get to relive and is super fun to watch because she had a blast but right before then let's let's take a step back a little bit because right before then she was on chemo but it was an oral chemo and that was. was horrible it was horrible Absolutely horrible. Because she... Think about it, guys. Taking an oral chemo. I'm getting very close to the microphone because I want you to understand. An oral chemo. Guys, this is a child having to ingest chemicals into her body orally. So she has to taste it. And I can guarantee you it didn't taste good. And it was big. Well, I think the rough too. Yeah, it was a pill. And we would break it into liquid Mm. because she wasn't able to... I mean, we tempted, we tried to help her like, okay, you know, we practice with M&Ms, you know, mm-hmm. swallow this, don't chew it, just swallow <laughs> it. <you know? laughs> That's a and good idea. Was, yeah, we tried, but it, it didn't pan out. And so we had to sort of figure out a way to still get her to take the chemo. We tried mixing it with different concoctions and stuff, but it was... It with was juices to sort of cover up the taste of what pudding, it was. Like too, Kool-Aid, I think, or applesauce or something. Kool-Aid. The, those drips that you add to water and mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah, no. The powder. She hated it. And she wouldn't hold it down. No. And I mean, it was a difficult process. It initially started off not so bad, but as the days wore on, she knew what was coming and she didn't want to deal with it. And um, it was to the point where, you know, I had to almost essentially force it upon mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't healthy for it was very traumatic. Either of you. For anybody. Very I, I witnessed it, and I had a hard time watching it. Because she's screaming because she knows she doesn't want to take it. Right. And you know it's in her best interest to take it. She doesn't realize it's in her best interest to take it because the experience for her is traumatic. But it's watching it, and from afar, just going, like, you you get upset. Like, I was upset with you. I know what you, the intentions were, 
But seeing what was required of her to get it down was so painful to watch. And then right after that, she would throw it up. You tried so hard to get it down. And once you got it down, it didn't even stay down. So mm. all that effort almost seemed wasted. But the trauma of it for no, you, it's, it's, the trauma of it for her. For everybody. And for then everybody. I had trauma of my own because I'm watching this going, I can't believe she has to do this regularly. Mm-hmm. I confronted her one time. Jess? This, I have, you guys need to stop. You, you need to stop. This it was, is, it's hard it's to watch. So It can't be good for her to be going through all of that. It was just lasting way too long. And I understand that that's what was going to save her life. And that's the hardest part because you sit there going, it's like, to me, I'm not going to stand by while somebody, some child is getting abused. And I almost felt like that's what I was doing by well, not is- doing anything, not saying anything. But not taking in the totality of the situation is this the baby is fighting cancer and that's the only way to get that medication inside her. And I thought, there's got to be a better way, mm-hmm, even if we have right. to go fucking every day that's to what, the hospital. That's what Jess was trying with those juices, yes. whatever she had to do. I and I can't imagine the magnitude. I'll let you speak to that a little bit. But from an outsider, it was hard to watch. Yes. It was hard to do. Yes. 100%. But looking back at it now, I mean, I think I realized, you know, it got to a point where you're starting to weigh out, okay, what's the quality of her life versus doing this and not doing this, you know? And looking back now, of course, we stopped the chemo and we were excited to stop the chemo, so I didn't have to do that anymore to her. But then the cancer came back and it came back fast and strong. It came back super fast. So it was crazy. Could we have continued to take that? But could she have continued to take what it took to take that? Yeah. Because they didn't give us any other way. There was nothing else because it had to be in her stomach mm-hmm. or something, right? Because I'm like, how does that make sense? Can we just get like a tube or something? I think we, we well, talked we about that. Well, I think the details too were just like how much of it was what the insurance would cover. How much right. of it was what was available to be given. How right. much of mm-hmm. it was like we don't know the back story of sure. all of that. So it's just we did the best with what we could and right. it was traumatic. Hard. So traumatic. Very hard. So when you stopped doing that, it was a decision to stop. It wasn't like they recommended you stop that? It was essentially the end of her, like, plan. Mm. Like, so she had, like, a roadmap. Right. Of her Options. treatment. Yeah. Yeah. And I think at that point, we definitely could have brought it up to the doctors. Hey, can we continue this because she's doing okay? But I was definitely at a point where I was like, I can't do this anymore. Mm. It was too much. Mm-hmm. It was too much for me. It was too much for her. It was just, I think it was at a point where let's see if she's going to be okay now because we can't keep doing what we were doing. Yeah. And I think at that point too, it was so challenging that um, they let you stay off of it for a little bit so that you could go on your Make-A-Wish to Disney World. Yeah. She took a little break uh-huh. from her chemo so that she could do that. That was awesome. How crazy is that though? That the highlight, I mean, this is before we got to Disney World though. The highlight for this child was, I don't have to take my chemotherapy. Because she said that to me. Guess what? Grandma, it's horrible. I don't have to take it. I'm like, oh my God, thank you, God. It's horrible. Think about it. It's horrible. A child should not have to consider these sorts of decisions. Right. Should not. Ha- this shouldn't be in their realm of their world that they would go, Mom, I don't have to take medication anymore. Like, that's just horrible. It's just horrible. Tell us about Disney World, though. It was the best experience. I have to say it was probably the best couple weeks 
of my life, mm-hmm. she made it pretty clear that it was a pretty amazing time in her life as Love well. Love that. But I think all in all, we stayed there, was it 10 days? 10 days. 10 days total. I can say that it was a once in a lifetime experience for sure because she had special like tickets and passes so that she didn't have to wait in super long lines with everybody and I think that was part of the experience of it all is that there was no like downtime where she got bored or she was like That's I'm amazing. tired of being here she was like well, I'm tired of my feet hurt you know but <laughs> so it was the entire experience so it started with the limo ride to the airport, right? So right. she gets picked up in a limo, goes to the airport, and I and you can share sort of the details about that. But what I remember most specifically is you recorded, I think, where she gets to an airport and they put her on the loudspeaker in the entire oh, yeah. airport and her brother gets up there and is like, hey guys, my sister is going That's to right. Disney World. Let's all give her a round of the pause. And... That to me is so emotional because people understand what Make-A-Wish means. Make-A-Wish is that there's some level of terminal, I don't know what the word is, right? Like there's terminal disease that these kids are going through. It's not always terminal. It's not? No. Okay, then I'm wrong. But a -A Make-A-Wish anyway for her, like that round of applause was like, was meant more than just, hey, cool, she's going to Disney World, but it's this girl's been in a fucking fight. And she gets to try to enjoy her life as a kid for once, you know, forget the first three years that she lived you know, somewhat pain-free, but this whole entire cancer journey really engulfed her life. So for her to step out of that for a moment and really just be celebrated for her surviving and fighting this long, to me, that was like, every time I see that, I get super emotional because I know that they wanted her to experience what it was like to be a kid because that was taken from her. Go ahead, because I'm going to lose it <laughs> no you're fine you're making me lose it too but, oh, and I, no me... i think the reality is when you think of make a wish you know you realize it's probably associated to something very serious but unless you walk that journey you don't realize how heavy that journey is i think i didn't realize it it wasn't just terminal patients until we got there because there were just kids that are battling some kind of major diseases that shouldn't be with a kid so including home mess that were terminal, but Mm -hmm. including some that were not. They were just battling something really intense. And I just have to also correct. Our Make-A-Wish was seven days, but we extended it. So it wasn't part of the Make-A-Wish. Make-A-Wish is always just a week. Mm. And so we just, because we never been to Florida, we just did it on our own, not having to do with them. We were already there. We just had to handle our own, you know, rental car, our own stay or whatever. And we just decided, hey, let's extend it because this is like, you know, it's a holiday weekend or whatever. So Yeah, and you had like a t- timeshare that you could use out there. Yeah. By the so way, I don't, wouldn't really encourage timeshares. But, um, no. but that one was, if, <laughs> that was if worth nothing it. else, yeah. yeah I, I always said I think that was such a waste of money. But all in all, just because we had that experience, and to be honest with you, it was the craziest thing that it, they had a suite available. Mm. And normally they don't have them. And they had a suite available for what we needed. And it was crazy. And like she was saying, she just loved different hotels. So we stayed at the Give Kids, Give Kids, Kids the World. World place. And that was phenomenal as it was. The whole thing. When we left, we were supposed to go to the airport. And then we go to this hotel. And it was like, 
oh my gosh, it was just another surprise for her because we didn't tell her that that's oh, what we were doing. Uh-huh. And to come in and then we have three separate bedrooms and it, it was, was crazy. It was crazy. <laughs> so, But it was all a part of this amazing time that we had with her. It's. We'll talk in future episodes about how things align and the stars align that's appropriately true. for her and throughout the cancer journey and throughout, I think, our grief journey as well. But mm-hmm. It's interesting that both of you now have shared just this amazing experience that she had with her Make-A-Wish. But in the middle of the Make-A-Wish, we lost Grandma. Yeah, yeah, that was bad. <laughs> that was bad. So overall, that's not the first thing that comes to your brain. And no. it's not that you don't love your mom or anything like no. that. But that experience was so amazing. And in the middle of it, we lost our family member, our grandmother, my mom's mom. Essentially but, the matriarch of the Yeah, family. but... Yeah. You mostly remember just the amazing experience it yes. was. Now, it took me a while to realize that any time when we got back that you guys talked about going to Disneyland, I would get in a panic. I was getting just this anxiety, but I guess it had to have been the PTSD. And once I realized, because we were on the road, in the car, on the way to the Magic Kingdom, and then I get this phone call. So anytime going to Disneyland here... I was like, no, I'm not going. No, have fun. So it wasn't until I think I was talking to my sister on the phone and I said, we're here and I've got this anxiety. And she goes, well, no wonder. And said, that's, you got the news going to Disney World when mom passed. As soon as she said that, and it made sense to me that that was why I was able to let that go. Mm. and But I didn't realize until that moment that that was why I just panicked. Like, we're going to Disney World or Disneyland. Something bad is going to happen. Crazy. I find it interesting that throughout the cancer journey, I felt like I was grieving something. What I was grieving most about, I think, was the loss of a child's normal childhood. Yeah. So on, And if you're agreeing with me, then... While you're grieving this experience, but also having this amazing experience at Disney World, are, were you able to switch into, now I'm grieving my mother? Or what was that like for you in the middle so, of like such a joyous event and now like it's, it's, you've got this on top of it? So I can only tell you that I missed a lot. And I miss a lot. When you're grieving, you miss portions of time. And I don't know how else to explain it, but she'll say, hey, the kids did this today. I didn't. I don't remember where before, everywhere they were, that's where I was at. I was in the room. I was talking to you my sisters. You weren't mentally sisters. there. You weren't mentally No, I could able. not. You couldn't. You can't. The most important people in the world to a mom is their children. But for the children, it's the mom. It's the parents. So I would agree with that. My mom is quite important to me. <laughs> <laughs> so it made sense, but I, di- I didn't want to make their experience any less. So I didn't want her staying and trying to take care of me. I needed to make contact with my sisters, with my brother, making sure where they were at. When my dad passed away, we had taken care of all the arrangements. So they, it it was all done. So Mm -hmm. we didn't have to think about anything. There was no rush to go back. And that's the first thing my, cause my husband is the one that gave me the information right away in the car. He's the one that told me. And the first thing that he said is, don't change your plans. I already talked to your sisters and your brother, and they said, do not change your plans. Did you hear what I said? Yeah. Because I couldn't hear anything after saying your mom just passed. Yeah, I remember I, I was on the bus to go to work, and I got a text, I think, or a phone call from my aunt. 
And she told me what happened. And I hit that emergency cord like you wouldn't believe. Get me off this bus. And I happen to still be within walking distance of where they picked me up. But that whole fight or flight, I was flying. I was like, I need to get I need to get home. I need to do this. I need to do that. So I couldn't imagine you being states away, unable. Well, not unable. You probably could have come back, but you were. Yeah. But I'm sure the first thing you thought of was, I need to get back home. I, I do. And your husband is like, no, you need no, to. He repeated it several times, yeah. several times. So make sure that I heard it. And I think yeah. he probably even said, did you hear what I said? Right. Because he realized that as soon as I heard your mother passes, I don't know what else he said. But then later on, it started coming back. Like all of a sudden I can hear. Because you do, you lose it. Yeah. Then all of Foggy. a sudden I'm hearing him keep saying, did you hear what I said? Do not come back. Did you hear what I said? You need to stay there. The kids have to experience this. This is one in a lifetime for them. Yeah. Do not let this ruin this trip for them. That's hard. Mm-hmm. That was, I'm sure that was hard. That's but again, the loss of your mom. Mm-hmm. And it could ruin a trip. Right. But it helped to know this stuff was pre-planned already. And it helped to hear my brother, to hear my sister say, stay there. Oh. It's okay. It's all done. We don't have to do a thing. We don't have to do anything because we already pre-did this. So don't worry. Don't worry. I know it's going to be hard, but just try to be there. Try to be. They didn't use these words, but these are some of the things I think that that helped me through the grief process. Not the pre-grief, but after the baby. Be present. Mm -hmm. I didn't know the words for it, but that's what they were trying to tell me. Be there. Love that. It was way too hard to do, and I still have memories of being there, but there's a lot of empty moments. Wow. So right after this trip is when you had to go back to the doctor, and it wasn't good news, right? So we went in August. Mm Mm-hmm. It was like a, a quick break from chemo, and then she was back on it. But that was the same year that it was the end of the end. Yeah, because we went to Disney World in 2014, mm-hmm. and she passed 2015. Yeah. Yeah, so it wasn't soon after. I mean, it was sort of soon after her August trip that she stopped taking the chemo, and it was back. So that's a little bit about how the stars are aligning, that she was able to take this trip. They said she can be off chemo, so she can do this trip, and it wasn't shortly thereafter that she ended up having the... She's terminal diagnosis. Right. And I think what she had said was that it's not always for terminal kids because when you're in the middle of it, of course, like for us, when the Make-A-Wish trip was first offered, she was like barely starting, you Mm -hmm. know? And so we're like, let's put it off until later when she's like not in chemo and she's feeling like 100% normal Mm -hmm. so that she could super enjoy this, you know? Put it off, put it off, put it off. And then got to a point where we just said, you know, you guys have to get this done or can't remember like you have until this date to get it done and we were like well let's just well let's just go because who goes to florida in august <laughs> it's like hurricane season <laughs> it's hurricane season <laughs> it's so hot it's <laughs> well yeah. you're on a timeline i guess no but that's it just worked out i don't yeah, know why she it got it, it done when she was feeling well enough to it's yeah. amazing 2015 I mean, she, she wasn't walking. Yeah, yeah. We did to... so much research on that. We took, like, water shoes. the water shoes, rain raincoats in mm-hmm. August, because we had no idea, but that's what people were saying. It doesn't matter. It always rains over there. It doesn't matter what time of the year. We took umbrellas. I mean, we packed everything that it said. It was perfect. It was just the way it was supposed to be. When we were at Magic Kingdom and it started to downpour rain, 
we took out our backpacks and we just, you know, we went underneath a cover, but you know how the stores, they have the cover when everything was open. We were in there, we changed them, we put them in their water shoes, went right back out and everybody's like, oh my gosh, you guys are so smart. You know, you guys came prepared. <laughs> we're everybody from California. Else in line. <laughs> everybody's in line to buy their ponchos. The ponchos, yeah. yeah. But we, we had them all. We had everything. And the kids, I swear, because it's hot. It's still hot and raining, so it's muggy. And they were just... Dancing in the rain, singing in the rain, dancing. It was just amazing. That was Beautiful. part of that's one of the things that I remember like, oh my gosh, I wish I wish I would have took video of how their laughter, their I just did. Yeah, you did. It was she so turned it much into it. Yes, it was so much fun to see. But yeah, but how we barely, amazing it was for them. We barely got it in. Yeah. Not realizing at the time that that was gonna be the trip of her life. Yeah. This brings us to the end of this week's episode. We want to thank you for joining us on our childhood cancer grief journey. We will continue the journey with you on the next one. Hey, cool kid. Love you.